Good morning, everyone. Thank you, choir. Thank you, music ministry team. Wonderful music this morning. Sorry, these are not props. These, uh, these are maybe necessities today, hopefully not, but I bring them up just in case I need them. The uh, great yellow cloud of pollen has arrived, and uh, I'm sure for many of us, we have been affected by it. I know that I have. Uh, the last few days, my ears, my hearing has grown uh, more and more insular, so I can hear myself really well, uh, but other voices on the outside, uh, I'm not hearing so well. So I went for a walk with my wife last night, and we practiced being about 25 years older as we walked down the sidewalk, and I kept saying, what did you say? What? <laughs> say, say that again. What, what was that? Uh, sorry, I know some of our... our um, Wives in the audience today know that feeling probably all too well. Um, but yes, what a beautiful reminder of the Word of God that we had this morning uh, from the choir, the power of God's Word. It's one of the reasons that we practice as a congregation memorizing the Word of God and hiding it in our hearts. And so for the month of May, we have a new memory verse. And for this month, we actually have five weeks So we have a lot of time to memorize it, and it goes really, really well. It really dovetails with our 31 days of prayer for our neighbors, which is now available to you. Uh, You can pick it up uh, in the foyer. You can sign up on the white sheet in your bulletin this week if you have not yet already, just in case, if you didn't know what that looked like. If you're with us online, uh, these forms are available in the description. Um, And you could get it to your app, you can get it to your email, all different ways that we can join together in prayer for our neighbors this month. And so let's say the verse together, and uh, let's reflect on it as a congregation throughout the month. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Galatians 5, 14. Very good and helpful reminders uh, for us uh, this month and every month. We are concluding our study in the book, the letter of 1 Corinthians. We actually have two sermons left in this series this week and next week, and then we will be wrapping this series up. We will be taking a short break, and we will be diving into a series in the book of Habakkuk which is an Old Testament prophet. So we'll be doing that in a few months, and that will take us uh, in through uh, summer, and then we'll have a a series about in the middle of summer we'll start as well. But this has been a a study that I've really enjoyed doing together as we've uh, studied Paul's letter to the church in Corinth through the lens of love builds up and building one another up as a congregation in love. It's important. It's something that we need to be continually reminded of in our culture, in our world, in our communities today. Ministry leadership and ministry in and of itself all around is a difficult profession. It's a difficult thing to volunteer in. It's a difficult place to be called in to. Some interesting research has been done in the past few years in regards to this. In 2021, Barna Research asked pastors how many had given serious consideration to quitting or resigning from full-time ministry. This is just in 2021. Barna Research, now yes, it came at the end of COVID. There were a lot of other extemporaneous realities going around affecting the church. 
But in 2021, 29% of pastors that were polled had given serious consideration to giving up or quitting on full-time ministry. They just ran that poll again this year and released the research last month. In 2022, that number has risen to 38% of pastors. Nine whole percentage points. 38% of pastors have considered quitting or resigning full-time ministry. A more alarming statistic within this research is that 46% of pastors under the age of 45 have given this consideration serious thought, as compared to only 34% of pastors over the age of 45. Question for us. What would the church in America look like, and how would it function if 46% of the pastors under the age of 45 suddenly walked off the job? Almost half of the pastors. What might the future of the church in America look like? What if 38% of all pastors, regardless of age, suddenly laid down their Bibles and said, enough? is enough and just stopped. And if we're asking why this might be the case, it's very intriguing. This year, when Barna followed up the research, they actually started to ask pastors who had considered resigning to give their top reasons for their considerations. So there was a number of reasons. I will give you the top five reasons that pastors gave and their percentage. The number one, well, I'll start number five. The number five reason was a general lack of optimism regarding the future of the church. 29% of pastors that had considered resigning said that that was one of the reasons. Number four, the negative effect that the role of a pastor had on the pastor's family. 29% of pastors noted that. Number three, and this is where the numbers begin to steeply incline. The top three reasons were, by and large, way above percentage. The third reason, current political division in the church. 38% of pastors who had considered resigning gave that an indication. Number two, feeling lonely and isolated in ministry. 43% of pastors gave that as a reason. And the number one reason at 56% that pastors gave to resigning was the immense stress of the job. But you know, ministry being hard is no new thing, right? We see this early in the Bible. We see this with Moses. Moses came before God, and if you remember his complaint, Lord, these are a stiff-necked people, right? And he talked about bad attitudes, complaining, always demanding their own way. And we remember in Moses' testimony that there was a time in his leadership, in fact, there were many times, but I can think of one time in particular 
where they were fighting the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. And Moses was up on the mountain. And as long as his arms were raised, what happened? They were, they were victorious. They were winning. Things were going well. But over the course of the battle, as time drug on, as things grew more and more difficult, Moses needed what? He needed someone to help. Help hold up his arms. He didn't need anyone coming around him saying, Man, Moses, can't you get those arms up a little bit higher? No, he needed someone to help. And so as we move into 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which is where we'll be today, if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, verses 1 to 12 in particular, as we move into that portion of Paul's letter today, this question comes to the forefront of our study. How can our faith community contribute to motivating endurance in the ministry leaders that God sends to us? And when we say ministry leaders, I want to be clear that we can define that word uh, by ministry volunteers. We can define that word by pastors. These can be our global partners, our nonprofit leaders, or other faith leaders in our community. How can our faith community contribute to motivating endurance in the ministry of the leaders that God sends us? As we endeavor to be a community of faith that cultivates behaviors or patterns and attitudes that would support and uphold our faith leaders and ministry partners, what principles can we glean from Paul's instruction to the church in Corinth this morning that would inform our minds and direct our hearts? And Paul will draw out three habits uh, that can be formed within faith communities, promoting the upbuilding and well-being of the ministry leaders that God sends to us. So this morning we're going to look at purposeful generosity, patient hospitality, and peace-minded partnerships. And before we step into God's word, let's pray and ask him to help. Father, we do know that these days are difficult. You have called us and assigned us to live at this time. You've appointed us to live in the places that you've placed us. You've put the people around us that you desire to be around us right now in this season. And yet, Lord, we're finding it difficult. It's difficult to have deep, meaningful relationships today. It's difficult to find space and place to have conversations about things which we may have different perspectives on. Things don't feel as safe, Lord, as they once did. And yet, Father, we know that through your word, you desire for us to be a community that's committed to loving one another by building one another up, honoring you as we do so. So we open your word today and we're determined to see the instruction that Paul has for the faith community in Corinth, instruction related to generosity and hospitality and peaceful partnerships. And Lord, we pray that the lessons that we can glean from this text would go well with us, that we might grow in our love for you and our love for those that you've placed in our lives, and that we might know better how to support one another in our lives and our ministries. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 12, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So we want to begin at looking at verses 1 to 4 in this concept of generosity. As God is in our midst and the Holy Spirit is working in and through us, He's forming us into a community that can be engaged in purposeful generosity. There is a collection that Paul talks about at the beginning of this passage. He says in verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints. And so there's some principles related to personal gener- to purposeful generosity here in these first four verses. The first principle is this. Purposeful generosity has a specific aim. Purposeful generosity has a specific aim. Who are the saints that Paul is talking about in the letter here in verse 1? We go back to Romans chapter 15 And we can see the context of what he's talking about in Romans 15. Let's take a look at verses 25 to 28. It's on the screen. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia are pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do this. And indeed, they are indebted to the Jerusalem saints. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things they are obligated also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, after I have completed this and have safely delivered this bounty to them, I will set out for Spain by way of you. So Paul's talking about the saints in Jerusalem. He's talking about the poor who were in Jerusalem, who were being ministered to. Part of purposeful generosity was this aim that the church would work together to meet the needs of a particular group that was in need in their community. And this group that Paul has identified is the saints. But there's more. Look at the second part of verse 1. He says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. Purposeful generosity 
is it's not just having a specific aim, but it's also a corporate expectation. Friends, it's for all of us. Regardless of where we attend church, regardless of what faith community we are a part of, the expectation that Paul has, the instruction that he's given to all of the churches that he has visited and been a part of or have gone to is that there would be generosity or a spirit of generosity among the people. It's also identified as a regular habit. Look at the beginning of verse 2. On the first day of some weeks, one week, every week, every week, purposeful generosity is a regular lifestyle pattern. This is something that as a believer in Christ, as someone who's a follower of Jesus, it becomes part and parcel of who we are. We are people who live out of the abundance that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And so we do not have to live as if there is lack or we are lacking. There is abundance in Christ. We should be a people who are characterized by our generosity. It should be a pattern of our worship. And so he describes it. Look at the second part of verse 2. Each of you is to put something aside. The net translation actually says to set aside income, some income, and store it up or save it as they may prosper or as to the extent that God has blessed us so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so purposeful generosity also invites us to examine how God has blessed us so that we might be able to be a blessing to others. Each person in the community was to take stock of the abundance or the bounty that God had given to them, to set it aside, to store it, to save it up, so that they would be prepared when the time came to give, to be generous, to give out of the abundance or the overflow. Look at what he says in verse 3. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So we also see that purposeful generosity invites broader ministry participation. All of us can be involved in this. Now, some, Sometimes we come to, to church on Sundays or we participate online and we ask the question, well, how can I be involved? How can I support? How can I contribute to this community that I'm a part of? One of the ways, friends, one of the tangible, practical ways that we can contribute and be involved is through our generosity. And that's a generosity of time, but it can also be a generosity of our finances and giving of our financial gifts or giving of other material possessions or gifts that the Lord has given to us. The spirit of generosity invites ministry participation throughout the congregation, throughout the community that was gathered in Corinth. And so finally he says this in verse 4 as it pertains to generosity. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will or they can accompany me. So purposeful accountability or generosity is open to accountability and oversight. 
Paul's willing to go along to hold accountable those that are delivering this gift for the saints in Jerusalem to make sure that the gift gets to the recipient that it was intended for. Now, it's really interesting uh, that this text falls on this particular week because a few weeks ago, you may remember, I think most of you probably were here or watched online, we had a guest, a representative here from Hope International, uh, a man and his wife that are very acquainted with our congregation, Jeff Rutt, was here. And following that service, one of our associate elders had the opportunity to make a little bit deeper of a connection with Jeff and to inquire about ways that our congregation at Calvary Monument Bible Church might be able to directly support the South Church in Ukraine, the church that we have a personal connection with in Ukraine. And it was determined that Hope International would be able to provide up to $5,000 of aid directly to the South Church if it came from Calvary Monument Bible Church. So this elder reached out to us. We got together and we started talking about it, praying about it. I talked to Pastor Jim about it. And we decided that for the next two weeks, for this Sunday and next Sunday, direct application to the text that we have today, anything that comes in above what we need to fund our ministries is going to go directly to Hope International's relief efforts in the Ukraine, the first $5,000 of which will go directly to minister to the people at the South Church. So that's this week and next week. So we're giving you time to prepare. If you're online, we're giving you time to pray and to think about how you might support this effort. First, we need to fund our ministries budget. We need to meet that number. It's, it's out in the bulletin board every week when you come in. We need to make sure that that number's funded first. But once that number's funded, anything that comes in above and beyond that number is going to Hope International to support their relief efforts in the Ukraine. And so we invite you to pray. Start praying even today about how you might contribute to this gift. And it could, it's going to be taken this week at the end. The boxes are in the back. But we also are going to receive it next week as well. And it's an opportunity for us to directly practice and apply the kind of generosity in ministry partnership that Paul is talking about right here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, a perfect application. So a challenge for all of us to begin praying how we might contribute to the needs of the church in Ukraine. Paul's not only calling the faith community in Corinth to purposeful generosity, but as he moves into the next portion of his letter, he's also inviting the church in Corinth to embody patient hospitality when he and other faith leaders and ministry partners are sent to minister among them. Paul is coming. He's coming for a stay. Let's look again at verses 5 and 6. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. Right? Wow. I mean, that would be today, in today's world, if Paul told you, if you had the opportunity to host Paul for a winter, 
an entire winter, how many of you would take it? I would make any accommodation that I could to have Paul come stay at my house for the winter. How fun uh, would that be? Patient hospitality means that we are ready to receive and host those God sends to visit or pass through. I love how our faith community embodies this. I've seen our faith community embody this, actually, uh, in the years that I've been here. It's really beautiful uh, how CNBC uses the yellow house here on its property. But it's also really beautiful to watch how a number of congregants within our congregation open up their homes to ministry partners to come and stay. And not just for a week or two weeks, but for sometimes for months, sometimes for an entire season. Some of you host uh, global partners that are serving in other parts of the world. And it's embodying these very principles that Paul's talking about here in verses 5 to 9 of the text this morning. Look at what he says why. It's at the end of verse 6. The end of verse 6 he says, so that you may what? Help me. So that you may help me on my journey, wherever I go. It's one of the attributes that I love about Paul. He was not a lone ranger. We're going to see this again next week with Paul. He asked for the help of the people. He recognized that for his ministry to be successful, he needed them to be on board and their support and their help of him. And he asked for it. Patient hospitality means that we are prepared to help those God sends us. I watched, I watched how the CNBC community did this. I watched how we did this with Emmanuel and Alice Adamako. What an amazing way to practice this principle of hospitality. Emmanuel and Alice were with us for a season while they were training at school and preparing to go back to Ghana to minister. They asked for help. They needed help. And the CNBC faith community rallied around them and helped them. And when God was finished with their season here, what did he do? He sent them back to Ghana. And we celebrated and supported uh, them going back and doing ministry back there. Being prepared to help is part of patient hospitality. Paul says, I don't just want to see you now in passing. I want to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. Spend time. Are we making space and enjoying the time that the Lord permits us with our ministry guests? It's not an obligation, friends. Maybe some days it feels that way, but it shouldn't be. This is a wonderful opportunity to bless ministry leaders and global partners that God sends into our communities. To be available, to be present, to welcome them, to host them. To be patiently hospitable for them. And Paul says this in verse 9. For a wide door for effective work has opened for me. Paul couldn't come right away. He was in another city. He was doing the ministry work that needed to be done there. The people in Corinth, they wanted him. They wanted him right now, but he couldn't come. So patient hospitality means that sometimes we have to wait 
for the person to be present with us. Paul had obstacles. He had adversaries that were opposing him. He he alludes to it in verse 9. He says there are many adversaries or opponents. And if we're patiently hospitable, we're willing to listen, care for, and understand the challenges that our faith leaders and our ministry partners face. Friends, we heard those statistics at the beginning of the message today. Those aren't made up. Those aren't fairy tales. That's real hard data that's given to us from the mouths and the minds of pastors serving our faith communities throughout the country. That's how that percentage of faith leaders feel today. Worn down. Worn out. Somebody said to me the other day, and I thought, my goodness, they were talking about opposition and adversarial things that were going on in their ministry. And they said, where, if we can't have safe conversations in the church in regards to the matters going on in our culture today, where can we have them? And you know, they were lamenting. And they were lamenting because when they have these conversations with people in their churches, guess what happens? They get attacked. Because maybe their perspective doesn't line up with the perspective of someone else in the church. Maybe their view doesn't necessarily align with the view of someone else in their church. And then there's attacking and there's all these difficult things that happen. Friends, that's not practicing patient hospitality with one another. Where are the spaces, the safe spaces today... That we can live in community with one another. Be in community with one another. Holding on to the person of Christ as our central person of unity. And have disagreement on other matters that are not essential to Christ. I hope that that place would be the church. But for many faith leaders today, that's not the case. I was listening to a man the other day who said that he receives multiple emails every week from ministry leaders who are so frustrated that they cannot engage the pertinent and essential current event topics going on in their culture today because they're afraid of stepping on the toes of certain people in their congregations and being run out. That's where we're at, friends. That's where the church is today, but that's not where we should be. That is not where we should be. We look at the church in Corinth, and there's a reminder for us right in this letter and throughout Paul's ministry over and over and over again. He confronts us with the reality that existing in the church were Jew and Gentile. Both. That's like red and blue today. They were both there, Jew and Gentile. And Paul's mission, Paul's purpose, one of the biggest things that he's trying to do in this letter of 1 Corinthians is to show them how to dwell together in community, in love, while having differences. 
Hospitality, friends. Love. Loving those that may be different, may see things, say things, think things differently than we do. This is an essential part of Christian community. When we cultivate purposeful generosity and when we practice patient hospitality, we are demonstrating to the world that the Spirit is alive and at work within our faith communities. It is God who is working in us and through us, holding us together because Christ and His body is enough. And when we are faithful to encourage, to build up, to support, and to uphold the leaders that God sends to us, including our global partners, our pastors, our Christ-centered community, nonprofit leaders, and others, God will be faithful to send more meaningful partnerships our way. And so that is the third quality that Paul is drawing out of our text this morning in verses 10 through 12. There are peace-minded partnerships available to the church. We want to be a community that energizes Christ-centered ministry partners. We don't want to be a community that detracts from them. We don't want to be a community that discourages them. We don't want to be a community that causes them high levels of stress and anxiety. We don't want to be a community that makes them feel isolated or fear-filled. We don't want to be a community that antagonizes them. We don't want to be a community that condemns them. We want to be a community that welcomes them, that loves them, that supports them, that encourages them. And look at how Paul describes this in verse 10. When Timothy comes, put him at ease. That word is the opposite of stirring up anxiety or fear in him. And, and hey, I'm good Southern Lancaster County boy, just like many of us are. All right, some of us girls, but good Southern Lancaster County roots, right? I know it's hard when someone from the outside comes. I know. I had a friend that pastored a church in Quarryville for many, many years. He said, Chris, I've been here 17 years and they still don't think I'm one of us. <laughs> And that's, that's what Timothy was facing. Paul knew that's what a lot of ministry leaders were facing back then, coming from the outside. And he's challenging faith communities. Hey, put them at ease. Welcome them. Uphold them. Support them. They're doing the work of the Lord just as I am. They might not do it the exact same way. They might not say things exactly the way that Paul said things. We know Peter didn't. Peter and Paul said things differently. But they agreed on what? The Lord. They agreed on the Lord. He said, Timothy's doing the work of the Lord just like I am. Put him at ease. Don't stir him up and get him all anxious and fearful. Put him at ease. So peace-minded ministry partnership puts our ministry partners at ease. I wonder what that list would look like if that's the way our faith communities were functioning. Would 56, I think it was 56, let me double check. Would 56% of pastors who have considered resigning be in that position 
if our faith communities were committed to putting them at ease. I'll leave that one open-ended. Verse 11, let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. For I am expecting him with the brothers. Peace-minded ministry partnerships mean that we're not despising the ministry partners God sends us. Rather, we're supporting them and upholding them for the time that God has them with us. And friends, sometimes God has ministry partners with us for long seasons. Some ministry partners last 25, 35, some even 40 years in the same place. Sometimes God has ministry partners with us for a short time. Two years, three years, six months, whatever it might be. Have we been faithful to support, to uphold them, to encourage them, to put them at ease in the time that they have been present with us? And then verse 12. And concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, uh, with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Peace-minded ministry partnership understands that our ministry partners are governed by the Lord's desires and not our desires. And I, I get it. Sometimes we want to kind of govern the will of our ministry partners. But if our ministry partners are, commu- are committed to the Lord and they are doing the Lord's work as he has assigned to them, then peace-minded partnership understands that they're governed by the Lord's desires and not ours and not their own also. Hey, we learned a tough lesson in this a number of years back. During our global outreach conference, uh, we have our global partners here, a number of them, and we were receiving feedback from them at the end of the week that they were so tired because the schedule was just, it was incredible what we were asking them to do. Be here at this time and that time and this time and that time. Every day of the week and spread out so thin and evening sessions and Saturday morning husbands and wives were having to split up and go here and go there and do this and do that. And we had to start asking the question, how can we adjust our week, our conference week, so that we can care for our global partners who don't get home that frequently? who aren't here in the States that often, and who need time to network and connect with other partners that support them, not just us. How can we create space and time throughout that week that will allow them the flexibility to be available to others that also want to visit them so that we're not directing their will, but they still are being guided and directed by the will of the Lord during their time here together with us. And you may have noticed the last few years some of the things that had traditionally been done during Global Outreach Conference, we've kind of paused on to give some space to our global partners to have room to visit with other people that they're networking with, that are supporting them, and that are helping support and fund their ministry in the same community or outside of our community. We need to give time and space for our ministry partners to do ministry. You know, in my mind... um, I've tried to approach uh, the last number of months with some wisdom that's been given to me. If, if I consider when I approach a person that they're doing the best they can 
in the situation that they're in before I begin a conversation. It's really helpful. It's really helpful. And if we give that same consideration to our global partners and our ministry partners and our faith leaders among us and around us, that they're doing the best they can in the situation that they're in, that can go an awfully long way. And if from time to time they let us down, I will. I've told you that before. I'll say that again. I'm just a man. That's it. I will let you down. If from time to time that happens, if we can think in our mind, you know, I'm sure they wanted to be part of that. I'm sure they wished that they could be there. I know that they're praying for me. That can help go a long way from judgment, criticism, condemnation, when expectations aren't met in ministry. And it can also go a long way in motivating endurance and helping our faith leaders and our ministry partners persevere in the tasks that God's assigned to them. So how might we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly not yet believing world? We've asked this question at the end of almost every single message in this series. And in light of the text today, we might say this. As God works through us to cultivate within our Christian community a spirit of generosity, a posture of hospitality, and an eagerness to support our ministry partners, we motivate endurance and encourage them to press on in the ministry work that God has given us and given them to do. So we're going to conclude in prayer, and as we do that, I'd ask our elders to begin to make their move to the back as we prepare for communion today. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us in this endeavor. Father, I know that many of us desire to support our leaders and our ministry partners. We want to be good partners with those that you send us. We want to be supportive and encouraging. It is our heart. Lord, sometimes even within ourselves, we feel overwhelmed. We feel like the weight of the world jumps on us and we don't have the patience to offer the hospitality required. or We don't have the, or feel like we don't have the abundance to offer the generosity that's needed. Maybe we just don't have the time to be a great ministry partner. But Lord, we're praying that your spirit would cultivate and work within us and grow within us these patterns of ministry partnership, that we would be a community that would energize our ministry partners. We would be a community that would be committed to supporting, upholding, lifting up those that you send to serve us. That we would be a community that exudes the characteristics of generosity because you've given to us out of abundance. Lord, help us to be great partners in ministry with those you send to us. And through it, might you receive the glory and honor that you're due. In Jesus' name we pray.